Hi, everyone, and welcome to the European Startup Show, where every week I talk to exciting startups in Europe to learn more about their challenges and strategies they use to scale their business. My guest today is Marzio Skena, who is the CEO and co-founder of A-Note Music, a European marketplace for investing in music royalties. Prior to co-founding A-Note Music in 2018, Marzio was a fund manager at Woodpecker Capital, specializing in global equities and derivatives. He's a member of the Global Shapers Luxembourg Hub, a community of entrepreneurs formed by the World Economic Forum to drive dialogue and change. In January 2020, A-Note Music closed 500,000 in initial funding led by the European music industry's foremost players. A-Note Music is also supported by Lux Innovation, the Luxembourg National Innovation Agency, providing access to government funding for the startup. I'm excited to have Marzio on the show and really looking forward to getting to know more about A-Note Music and the interesting business model they have. So welcome to the show, Marzio. Thank you, Anita. Thank you. Hi. Thanks for the opportunity. Very excited as well to be here and being able to to describe to you our business model and have a chat about uh, innovation in the music business. Yeah. So I thought I'd start off by asking you why you started A-Note. So obviously you were in the financial world as a fund manager. So curious if there was something in your work that prompted you to think that there was an opportunity there or if there was some other reason you started A-Note. Well, uh, that's that's an interesting question on the connection with my personal background. I have a background in the financial industry, indeed, as you were mentioning. So I've always had a look at all the securities that you can trade and trading uh, opportunities, investment opportunities, you know, from a technical uh, point of view. And then I understood it was three years ago, I was with my co-founder, Matteo Czernuski, while watching a music festival. There was a song that we really loved and we thought that it would win the festival. So somehow, you know, putting kind of between betting and financial, uh, financial approach together, we, we started wondering, is there a way actually to invest, to, to profit or to trade uh, or to just have a buy and hold strategy into music, into songs? I mean, there's such an interesting asset class. And then we understood that uh, actually the music business is totally cut out of the traditional financial system. There was no opportunity, you know, before us for retail investors to have access to the to the business, to invest in music. And so we spotted an opportunity. We also saw that music is a growing asset class, it's a growing market. So we, we decided to dig deeper and the result is, is A-Note Music that after a few years, uh, we created a company here in Luxembourg and uh, the rest of the story. Okay, well, I'm going to get to know a lot more of the story. So let's try and simplify it a little bit. I like Maroon 5 as a band. I like some of their songs. So tell me, how does A-Note work? Maybe using an example like that. It's very important, first of all, to make a brief, let's say, introduction about how the music business works. So every time that you have a song, a track, a product, you know, in music, let's say a song, you actually have uh, many players that contributed to the production of the song. You don't only have the performing artists, in this case, the Maroon 5, but you also have the record label behind you have the publisher, the music publisher, who's usually the admin, the manager behind the songs. You have the manager of the artist as well. You have the people that did the, the musical composition and the songwriters. So the point is that all of these players own a percentage of the intellectual property behind the song. 
So every time that the song is performed, is played in radio, synchronized with movies or soundtrack, let's say, uh, streamed on Spotify, you know, all the thousand ways to use music, these players, these original players that own a percentage of the rights, they, are, they have the right to receive the royalties. So what happens is that when you have uh, the opportunity of investing in this case, for example, in a song or in a catalog, you know, a collection of songs of Maroon 5, it means that there is one of the players that are that contributed uh, to the creation of the songs that is selling a percentage of his intellectual property uh, on Enoch Music. So it might not be the case that they are the Maroon 5 who are one of the players again, but it might be again either the publisher, the record label, uh, the manager, or the songwriter, and so on and so forth. Mm. Okay, I see. And the main reason is because they want to get capital? Is that the reason that they would come to A-Note? Yes, the, um, of course, the main reason behind A-Note music uh, from the point of view of artists and players in the music industry is uh, getting access to funding. Mm-hmm. And this might seem trivial, but in the music business, it is not. Because mm. the music business, the market of music royalties, is, tends to be a kind of a closed one. Um, there are, it's not an open market and most of the times, especially for SMEs, we're talking about independent publishers, independent record labels, the access to funding and to the financial, uh, you know, the traditional financial systems is um, not so accessible. Mm. So the provision of liquidity is uh, one of the main reasons that uh, one of the main, uh, let's say, positives that we offer to the players in the music industry, as well as, of course, the opportunity of connecting further with their fan base. Because Mm -hmm. from now on, you will not only have the opportunity of listening to your favorite songs, but also becoming a shareholder, an investor. Mm -hmm. uh, We are seeing from our user base, our own user base, that this concept is uh, perceived as incredibly cool. Because uh, indeed, there is a deeper way of connecting with uh, an asset class or something that most of us somehow love. Mm, interesting. So I want to I talk about the A-Notes uh, business in two, two parts. Uh, first, maybe focusing on the investor and then the other one focusing on the artist. I thought that might be uh, a clean way to, to really understand how A-Note works and, and the value to, to both parties um, in the marketplace. So if I think about the investor side, historically, the music business and the financial community have not really been the best of partners because music is a creative pursuit and has its own timeline and in financial community it has a very rigid timeline of expected returns before they'll invest in a certain asset class or at least that's my understanding of it so i'm curious to understand how were you able to you know convince investors to invest in an asset class like music, and how do you determine the confidence of the future cash flows of a song or, or an artist? Because so much can happen to them. That's, that's a very interesting concept. Uh, I would like, though, to, to make a comparison here. Let's make a comparison with art. So investing in pictures, investing in art, investing in the figurative art, of course. So from this point of view, we see that the financial community has been much more let's say, responsive to the opportunity of investing in art. Art, indeed, is an asset class which is not paying cash flows. Mm. So let's say that it can be perceived as a safe haven, as uh, something that has a value that re- remains, you know, mm. which is um, not decaying with time. 
Instead, the narrative for music has always been that uh, the value of songs, the performance of songs, how a song, an artist, a composition is popular is decaying with time. The point is that this depends on what is the song, what is the catalog that we're looking at. Of course, typically, the song performance in terms of royalties, of course, in terms of number of times it's performed, played and streamed, uh, the case with time, meaning that we have a bell-shaped curve. Mm -hmm. So at the beginning, we have a phase of high popularity and then it goes down. Right. Um, what we discovered actually in our market validation phase is that for many songs, you know, songs that for at least three years, they continue being listened, they, they reach a plateau. So there is a moment in the lifetime of the song in which you can see that the, the, the revenues are not decaying anymore, but they are growing because there is a tide in the music industry. There is a generalized growth, mainly thanks to streaming. And this is the moment where we see that it's ripe for the investors to come in. So think about taking an evergreen song or a song that was maybe performed, you know, uh, created three, four years ago. It's a... Uh, in many cases, it's very likely that it enters into the pop culture. So the people year after year, maybe with some seasonality effects, effects if it's a, you know, kind of a summer song or a Christmas song or depends, of course, uh, but it continues performing. And uh, with the um, revolution um, by, by, by streaming, the, the, the royalties and the number of times the song is performing is going up. I so see. this kind of, uh, you know, exactly like the generation of cash flows. So income generation, which is a kind of making music similar to the real estate uh, investment world, as well as the growing component, because music indeed is a, is a growing market. And the diversification is making this asset an appealing investment opportunity for many investors. And let's also remember that, for example, if we want to continue with the art example, art is not a diversification opportunity. When I was working for the fund, I was using as a technical indicator of market reversion the amount of volume of auctions at Christie's and Sotheby's in London. And mm -hmm. it was pretty much exactly the same as the SP500. So when the SP is going down, also the volume of auctions at these big auction houses was going down. Mm -hmm. So this also tells us that many uh, opportunities that are considered as a diversification are not. Right. It is instead uh, um, resilient to hmm. most of the macroeconomic variables that indeed instead affect other markets. But, but listening to you, it makes me wonder if there are specific types of songs and artists then that you would say are fit for the marketplace. So it's not anybody like a, a new artist with, with no history probably would not make it on A note. Could you give me some sense of the types of songs or artists or pattern of cash flows that you, you'd like to see before you think they'd be successful on something like A note? This is very true indeed. What we do and uh, the big barrier uh, that we take into consideration is uh, uh, that a catalog should, have, should display at least three years of stable or growing royalty flows. Uh, we don't want investors to take the job of a record label. We don't want investors that until yesterday they were investing in Bitcoin or other asset classes, you know, that they need maybe other type of skill set to decide whether the career of a new artist is worth it or not. This is a job of a record label. We think that record labels as well as publishers, managers, all the players in the music industry are essential because they have the know-how. They have been there for 20 years, 30, 10 years. Okay but they know what they're doing. So uh, when we see that there is a catalog, you know, made of songs that is uh, performing through time, we know that the selling, the selling part is a reliable one. 
either an artist, so he's continuing touring, or a publisher in the Republic and will continue working on the catalog, then this is something that we are considering to put on the platform. Of course, we also deal with the legal due diligence, so we make sure that the signing party uh, is actually enabled legally to distribute, to transfer some of the royalties it's receiving from a catalog to investors. Right. Yes, the key parameter is the generation of royalties. I see. If I think about the songs that have a stable uh, royalty flow because they're being played years after they've been created, typically it's because either a record label or the publisher has taken the time to insert that song into other areas of people's culture, life, right? Like TV serials or ads, etc. Then you're hearing that song and, and suddenly it's played a lot more. So I assume that that work continues to be with the publishers and other players. And what you do is really evaluate if that's happening and hence you will have the kind of cash flows you need. Is that correct? Yes, indeed. This is correct because indeed the active management uh, of the business uh, players of the music industry is a very important component of the continuation in the royalty generation of catalogs. Of course, you also have catalogs that are just evergreen. So you have songs that people love that will continue, whatever happens in a passive way, let's say, to continue generating royalties. So yes, there is the active component, but there is also, of course, the, the passive component, which derives from the intrinsic nature of music. Think about it, you know, to your personal life. Every one of us has kind of at least five songs, let's say, that remember to him, to him. Some moments of our own life, you know, think about the moment of uh, the first kiss, let's say, or yeah. uh, your marriage or something like this. And so uh, to you, it's very likely that next time you go on Spotify and you want to, I don't know, you're feeling moody or you're feeling happy or something, you go back to those moments. Yeah. And so, more likely for you in this case of situations to listen to songs that were performed and were played 20, 30, 5, 10 years ago rather than the, the new hits. So this is the mechanism that we see which is uh, more prominent for this kind of catalogs. Okay. I mean, look, I can see where you're going with this and, and why this could be a very interesting asset class. But how do you convince investors that are used to investing in traditional assets to now look at something like music? What could be really hot and fantastic this year and last year could suddenly just completely be not cool anymore. So how do you convince an investor? How do you build their confidence, I guess, is what I'm trying to ask. So first of all, let's say that there are two approaches. Um, the first one is a quantitative basis. So of course, what we do is we display the royalties to investors. We display the patterns in the royalty flows uh, performed by a catalog. We try to be as much transparent as possible for investors to really understand what is the performance, what was the performance, and what is likely to be the performance in the future. We tend to disagree on the approach of, uh, you know, discounting kind of some growth in the catalogs that we are proposing on the catalog, on the, oh, sorry, on the platform, propose a methodology of assuming constant revenue generation through time. At the same time, of course, there is a qualitative approach. So when we display that there is a specific music catalog, we want the users, the investors, to take a look at what are the, the songs inside the catalog. So to judge by themselves whether this specific song, whether this specific genre, it will continue performing 10, ten years after now. And there are indeed many, many, uh, let's say, aspects to consider in this. Your personal taste is, or what is your understanding of the music business? What is your understanding of, let's say, of the music business in more in general? We also allow for one specific fact, which is, we are saying, which is very well 
uh, received by investors is the fact that we also include in a catalog which is being sold, let's say, including a hundred songs, uh, for the seller to include in the catalog also the, his future um, songs that he will create. So mm. let's say that you have the Maroon 5 selling the rights to a hundred of his songs, then uh, with the specific feature, if next year he's producing another one, he has the opportunity to include also his future generation of songs in the current catalog that he's selling. So this, of course, gives the, the, the investors uh, the opportunity to take also uh, exposure to the future uh, fame, let's say, uh, generation uh, pro production of a specific artist and a specific publisher. And so to ensure what is the main point here, which is business continuity. I see. And how will I know how to value something like that? I'm not a seasoned investor. How do investors value that appropriately? And can anybody do it? Or is it a certain type of investor that can do it? Yes, what we see is that it's dramatically easier than most of the other financial instruments out there. Because the point is that in the music business, what you care about is the royalties. Let's call them dividends. So it what enters the distributions that enter into your portfolio. So once you know that the catalog has been distributing to the selling party, uh, let's say 100 in the last, as an average of the last five years, okay, for example, and you expect the catalog to continue generating the same amount for the next five, 10 years, it's very easy to use what is what's called kind of a DCF or a multiple. So in a DCF, you just discount these amounts at uh, whatever interest rate you want to apply. So if you want to receive, let's say, 7% or 5%, you can apply this amount. And the same approach is the approach of the multiples instead. So you know, for example, if you're paying this catalog uh, a thousand, you know that you're paying this catalog 10 times more what they generated last year. So you don't have to uh, try making analysis on what are the revenues, what are the costs, mm -hmm. what are the, you know, uh, the, the, the interest on the capital that a specific company has to pay in order to arrive to the bottom line and try to understand what are the dividends. You know? and about, uh, in this case, you have a concept which most of the times brings to the revenues being exactly the same thing as dividends. Mm. So it makes it much more straightforward to understand what will be, what is going to be the expected distributions directly to the pockets of the investors. Mm -hmm. So we see the, the industry and the asset class much easier to understand to investors also because, of course, it's something that most of us understand more or less. Yeah. Uh, rather than going into financial modeling of what will be the revenues, the costs, the bottom line, and so on and so forth of a company listed on the NASDAQ. I see. I know that you've just launched your platform. Can you give me some numbers of what has been flowing through your platform? What are you seeing in terms of yield to investors compared to maybe other asset classes like art, for example? Definitely, definitely. No, yes, uh, we, so we launched the pre-order phase uh, for our platform uh, at the beginning of June. The pre-order phase was allowing investors to get early access to the catalog of Irma Records, which is uh, uh, 30 years uh, um, of uh, business in the music business, uh, uh, record label based uh, in Bologna, in Italy. The catalog valued at 200,000 euros. It provides a yield around 6% using the last uh, 12 month royalties uh, as a proxy for the future. It is a catalog which is being sold for uh, 12 years by the underlying uh, uh, record label Irma Records. And uh, as of now, we have uh, an auction completion of 80%, of which um, around 70% was during the pre-order phase. Mm -hmm. And as by the investors' uh, commitment, uh, we are expecting this, close, uh, this uh, auction to go overfunded by the end of its period, 31st of August. At the same time, we have three additional catalogs that we launched uh, during our 
let's call it official launching date that was on the 28th of July. Uh, we have catalog from uh, the Polish creators, uh, which are Thomas Lubert and uh, Piotr Konka. They have uh, a slightly higher e yield, uh, around 9-10%, uh, again using uh, last full month uh, uh, royalties as proxy. And um, they are uh, targeting uh, 30 and uh, 42,000 uh, in funding, uh, uh, respectively. We also have uh, uh, another Italian catalog, which is the one of Benvenuto Edizioni. Uh, this is targeting a valuation of 80,000 euros. Uh, the auction started on the 28th as well. And uh, this is providing a yield of 5% using last full month. And uh, using last uh, uh, three years average, it's uh, a 7% yield to investors. Interesting. That's, that sounds very promising. Talk to me a little bit about the go-to-market. How are you going and getting uh, catalogs and how are you going and getting investors? How are you getting the two parts of the marketplace coming together? How are you identifying them and getting them to, to start trading on your marketplace? So we, we are a B2C platform, and, but of course we, we need to get business uh, of music to understand what we do. At the same time, we need to have the financial ma markets understand what the music market is doing. So it, it's a continuous kind of education of both the, the boards, let's say, of, of each other. Uh, from the point of view of reaching out to the music business, it's, let's say it's also the funniest part, the, the part that I personally I most appreciate because it allows me to get in, con in connection with the uh, people that have been the columns, you know, of the music industry of a specific market. And so we are talking uh, with publishers, uh, with record labels. So right now we are targeting as uh, our markets, Italy, Poland, Germany, Belgium, and the UK. Mm -hmm. So it's um, a network, personal network uh, that mm -hmm. we are expanding, constantly expanding. We rely on partners on each of these countries uh, to provide introductions uh, to spread the word about the new music with all the players in the music industry. And we're getting good recognition and we're getting good uh, you know, feedbacks. Mm -hmm. um, at the same time, instead from the point of view of uh, the investor side, it's uh, mostly it's online. It's an activity that we do online. Of course, we have also investors with higher investment tickets. So in this case, it's uh, more kind of a personal relationship uh, there as well. But yes, the two approaches, they, they mainly differ in terms of how we reach out to them. One case is offline, the other one is mostly online. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I know that there's a few players that have tried to create this marketplace for music royalties, and I don't know that they've been very successful at it. So maybe you could talk to me about what has been done in the past in terms of a marketplace for music royalties and maybe why they have not succeeded and what's Aino doing differently? Yes, definitely. I mean, in terms of, let's say, precursors of Note music, you see the first example as being uh, the Bowie Bonds. So David Bowie, he, in the, he was in the late 90s. He issued some uh, asset-backed securities, basically, through, you know, big institutional invest, investment banking group, receiving some funding in advance to fund production of your catalogs. And... These Bowie bonds were very controversial because the point is that they were issued a few years before the top of the music market. But then from 1999, without any more CDs and physical sales, you know, with the physical sales of the music industry going down, they started, the music business started uh, 15 years of decay. So many investors actually 
thought about fleeing these Bowie bonds, but the history actually tells us that they were able to close, they were able to repay the initial capital, even in, a, in the downward moving market. Hmm. So it's, we really see this as a very positive example of the stickiness and the resilience of the music market. These are the real, let's say, first connector between music and finance. Hmm. After that, yes, you have uh, a few companies in the US that they started with the opportunity of uh, connecting the music business and the financial industry. But the most of, um, successful ones are the ones that focus on the brokerage system. Because the, the truth is that the, um, the market of music royalties is an active one. There are, on a daily basis, transactions involving uh, music rights that are sold either from publisher A to publisher B or from publisher A and the investor. Um, so the market is there. The point is opening up to the retail community. We have uh, some players in the US that are successful. I would uh, name two of them, like, for example, Betz and the Royal Exchange. Mm-hmm. In particular, Royal Exchange is a player that uh, we see as very successful. They focus, though, on a more kind of a brokerage system. They allow one player, one investor through their platform to purchase the total of, uh, of the catalog being sold by the counterparty. So there are many, many uh, examples of businesses that are connecting the, the financial markets and the music industry, indeed, because there are opportunities in the connection of the two. Music is an untapped market and the financial markets are looking for alternative investment opportunities providing income. In our case, what we're doing is different is that we are creating shares. So we are giving the opportunity to investors also to enter with a smaller investment ticket, as well as providing transparency. Because we don't close the transaction and then you don't know uh, whether the investor that invested in the catalog five years ago is actually having his money back, whether he's making a profit or a loss. What we do with, the, with our secondary market is we enable people to understand, to truly see the performance through time. So not only at the moment in which a transaction is executed, and then false, false bind, but continuously, as in a traditional stock exchange business model. Mm, I see. Interesting. So is there anything else you would say in addition to transparency that you think is needed for sustainability of marketplaces like A-Note? Definitely. I think that the most important part is cash flows. So as the old say says, cash is king. So what is important for investors is not the valuation that somebody else or, you know, they might get from an Excel file of a specific asset, but it's actually receiving cash flows. So receiving distribution, receiving money. So actually seeing that their wallet portfolio, uh, you know, is actually receiving what they were expecting. So the fact of focusing on an asset class, which is paying out royalties. And if last year you have a catalog that paid out a hundred, mm-hmm. next year you might expect 95. 105, but for sure you will not expect zero. This, I think, is the most important aspect here. So focusing on an asset class which is solid, which is paying out royalties because uh, right holders are legally entitled to doing so and which is uh, as sticky and uh, as uh, resilient as music. We really see this as you know, music when we started and I continue seeing this as the, the determinant here. So, yeah, because especially we compare ourselves to other tokenization opportunities or, you know, equity crowdfunding uh, investments or investment in other asset classes that are not paying cash flows. These are much more difficult to evaluate. It's much more complicated to convince an investor that you think or that expert or market insiders think that the value will go up next year. 
Yeah. In our case, instead, we will say, don't focus on the value, but focus on how much you will receive, okay? And how much the catalog has been performing in the past. If you create a well-diversified portfolio, you can expect that this yield will actually probably go up because of the tide the lifting all the boats, which is the music industry. Mm. So again, the focus on cash flows and distributions is our main strong point. Got it. Okay, Marcio. So another question for you. If I think about the different range of artists, right? You have Justin Bieber at one end and then you have somebody who's just starting out their career. So obviously the people who are just starting out their career don't have the cash flows. And then you have Justin Bieber who has a ton of royalties, awareness, fame, and cash flows. And then you have people in the middle. And I'm curious, a platform like Anode, who is it really benefiting? Because I'm assuming somebody like Justin Bieber already has enough money that this revenue stream may not materially make an impact. Am I correct? Could you talk to me about the, the different, like which type of artist this helps the most in and what percentage of their earnings, you know, A-Note can actually impact? Is it like 5% or is it substantial amount? <clears throat> Yes, uh, indeed, there is a wide range, of course, of artists and as well of the, the size of the industries of the, of the companies we work with from the point of view of records and, uh, record labels and publishers. Let's say that uh, liquidity is uh, always welcome from, from any player. And of course, the impact having on the earnings it's, is, is totally correlated to this. So you might have big artists and big catalogs, big, big publishers, you know, with big catalogs that receive a lot of royalties, uh, only giving away five, 10%. In one case, we were also making the calculation, it would, the impact would have been only 1% of the royalties of this player to sell royalties valued around uh, 600,000 euros. Wow. So uh, you, you understand, and then you have much bigger numbers, also, of course, smaller. So the scale here can really vary a lot. Mm. And, but the real answer here is that the music business is capital intensive. So in any stage of the development of an artist, of an artistic career, of a product, so a musical product, you always uh, will need, especially at the beginning, get the right funding. Mm. And so you might have very successful, successful record labels uh, or Pub music publishers, they have been uh, very successful in the future. And uh, right now they see an opportunity in, uh, in an artist, in a songwriter, in, in something that they want to push an album to be created. So in this case, uh, we, need, we need funding. Because the point is that we, we were speaking with the, uh, the CEO of the Rick label in the early days, and uh, he was telling us something that was new for us at the time, which is if you want to make somebody famous, I will need at least 500,000 uh, uh, euros to make him emerge from the cloud. Hmm. So we think it's misleading the idea that we have that with an iPhone and connection to YouTube, uh, you can become the next Justin Bieber just by chance like this. We really need to appreciate the job of all the players in the music business, not just record labels and publishers actually. There are, you know, all the, uh, all the players uh, involved, for example, in video editing, in the production of video, visuals, the lawyers, uh, and accountants. So all of uh, this industry needs funding and the capital intensive uh, you know, mode of the, of the music business makes it need constant liquidity. Got it. Well, let's talk a little bit about regulation. As soon as you talk about finance and investing, regulations are obviously in play here. So what did you as a company have to do to get approval from the regulators? 
And how are regulators uh, allowing such innovations while protecting consumer rights? That's a very interesting question. Indeed, when we launched Innova Music, the first thing that we said was knocking on the door of the regulators and having, a full under- having them have a full understanding of what we do. Having, uh, of course, uh, some legal counsel's advice and uh, having uh, the opinion of the regulators uh, on, uh, on the business. And indeed understanding what is required from our side to, to proceed. And so what we did is indeed we, speak, we went speaking with the CSSF, which is the Luxembourg financial regulator. And their guidance is uh, on the fact that we need to rely on an e-wallet uh, which is e-money institution, which needs to be regulated. So if we want to manage funds from external users, we need to be regulated. Hmm. So we solved the issue by partnering with, with MangoPay, which is an e-wallet, an e-money institution regulated by the CSSF that was explicitly approved. And we are working with them, you know, as, a, as their partners, they're managing all the flow of money. Um, so this is uh, from a point of view of regulation, which is required from our side. And do you feel the regulations protect consumer rights? Because this is, again, a, an asset class that maybe not every investor um, is used to. Yes, definitely. It's, it's an asset class which is, uh, uh, which is innovative, which is somehow exotic, mm-hmm. um, which is, though we see much more appreciated by most of the investors. We, we, I remember a comment I received last week from uh, a person I was speaking to for the first time about a note and the, she said, oh, finding something I understand I could invest into. <laughs> so, I mean, we see this as well. Obviously, from a point of view of regulation, uh, you know, that regulation sometimes is a little bit, you know, in delay in providing an answer to when there is uh, kind of innovation. From this right. point of view, music royalties, they're not uh, by MIFID uh, and by regulation, uh, national regulation, is not considered as a financial instrument. So we don't fall, uh, fall uh, within the MIFID uh, or any other financial regulation. Uh, I see. From the government uh, point of view. Ah, I see. Okay. Well, that was really interesting. I'm now going to shift our conversation a little bit to the business of startup and, and you specifically. Did you know you wanted to be an entrepreneur? I think, I think nobody knows you want to be an entrepreneur. <laughs> Actually, you find yourself with an idea. You find yourself with, oh, now I need, a, I need really a strong partner. I need this, that, and that. And then somehow either it goes or it doesn't go in the first month, I think. When you actually continue for four, four months, five months, six months, you start believing in yourself more and more and more as an entrepreneur. And that's, I think, when there is a crossing point. So how, how long for you can continue an idea and how many you know, uh, people you have that have a specific expertise that you're able to onboard. And indeed, I think that the team uh, is, is very important. So... The main point for Inode Music was gathering the necessary expertise, not just in finance from my point of view and, mar- and management from the point of view of Matteo, but as well in points of view of technical aspects and uh, IT and coding. Indeed, we have Gregoire, our third co-founder. And then, of course, you need so many other expertise in terms of marketing, communication, legal aspects, and uh, uh, the music business, of course, is extremely, extremely important for us. Yeah. So the main journey for us was uh, gathering the, the necessary recognition, gathering the necessary expertise in order to be able to proceed. Once you have the right people, the right committed, people that have 
I've done the job, have track record in the specific business. It's not important to take everybody who's an entrepreneur. What is important is to get a specific understanding of uh, what is the area of the business you're supposed to continue working. And the rest is, is team. So making right. sure that you don't argue too much okay, with the, other, with the other team members and that you are able together to proceed. So in your early days, I'm sure there were lots of successes you had and then a lot of things that you wish maybe you'd done differently. But can you think back to your early days? I know you got your funding in 2018 and think about what are some of the biggest failures you had and what did you learn from it? Well, actually, the point is that it's quite the opposite in the sense that at the beginning, we, we were definitely not very successful. I mean, at the beginning, what we were, it was three guys with seeing an untapped market, the market of music business, seeing really a great opportunity from uh, uh, speaking about the idea with as many people as possible. And this is, a, let's say, an advice I would give to any entrepreneur. Don't keep your ideas for yourself. Speak about it. To your mother, to your girlfriend, to anybody, to your friends, don't be afraid of losing it. Anyway, so the point is that at the beginning, we were really struggling, you know, to deal with all the things that we would need to do to create a new music. From the platform, from the regulatory aspects, from the legal aspects, understanding the music business, the financial details, because we were doing exactly something new, but mm-hmm. with a strong, really strong financial fundamentals. So at the beginning, we really took a, lot, a long time to actually proceed and to make sure that we were we were going in the right direction. Indeed, at the beginning, all, all the three of us were working, uh, continuously working with our previous employers. And there was a moment in the summer, uh, so six months after we started, so it was summer of 2018, in which we were feeling, uh, you know, a little bit down. But there was a key moment, which is the moment we participated to a startup competition, which is called Fit for Start, that gave us the, the charge, you know, to, to get to that finish line, to prepare all the presentations, to start with the marketing activities that we were not before that. So it's when your idea is actually getting exposed and getting uh, spoken about, that's really, I think, turning point in which you, you will really start giving 100% even more of yourself. So yes, I think that the struggles always arrive and it's when uh, you receive good, good feedback uh, and maybe modify slightly your business model according to the feedback. Uh, and when you hear you have some recognition, that that's really the moment where you start getting downward sloping. Hmm. What are some of the biggest challenges you are currently facing in your business? The challenges we are facing is, well, we want to improve our conversion ratios with the, the, the people that uh, appear on the platform and actually investments because we are having very, very good, higher than expected, actually, a number of users, of clients, uh, of uh, emails every day and uh, of recognition, the press and uh, in many of the fields that we are entering into. Higher, of course, um, if we were able to convert all of these leads, we would really be, uh, let's say, two years in advance than when we were thinking we would be. Mm-hmm. So let's say that this is our this little surprise that would really make us very, very happy. In terms of burning issues, then the main point is when you are in the process of launching something. This is really where you see the mountain never ending. When you launch, I think this is instead where you see definitely the, the light at the end of the tunnel. Mm. And you have, you know, a business which is going, uh, users that uh, share your feedback and they are 
you know, satisfied, happy. They're also have, have, happy, you know, to share their, share their opinion and their user experience. So everything becomes a little bit uh, easier. Let's mm. say. Yeah. Do you have any advice for other entrepreneurs? And are you planning to stay in Luxembourg? And what are your future plans? So two Luxembourg. questions there. Yes, yes. You know, they, we started in Luxembourg because we were in Luxembourg. We didn't decide to move to Luxembourg because we saw any positives in being here, but just because all of us, we were already here. But as time passes by, we really see this nation, which is so motivated in excelling uh, as a startup nation, hmm. providing so much feedback and good uh, motivation to entrepreneurs, to becoming entrepreneurs, as really our home. Luxembourg, I would say, is our chief leader, you know. So uh, we, can, we really like it here. Um, and from a point of view of advices, I would, I would really stress on the fact of don't be afraid of sharing your ideas. I would say two reasons for this. First of all, because I think that the net, net present value using financial t- terminology of an idea is negative. So, I mean, basically you're not giving anything that has a value to another person because from having an idea to actually getting something out of the idea company, which is, you know, at least revenue generating, it takes a long time yeah. and a long, a long time of your effort and discounting for the probability. Ah. Yeah. Second one is also, but definitely because you will receive a lot, but a lot of essential feedback <laughs> of something maybe you didn't, you didn't get or of some markets you don't really understand, or maybe because the other person has really been there. So don't be afraid to speak out. And uh, even if something seems stupid or too much important to share with other people, no, speak about it. I see. And when you started looking at funding, how was that process? Did you find that people understood and, you know, how did you overcome the several no's that you may have got when you were trying to look for funding? Yeah. The problem is that when you look for funding, you never receive a no. You you, you receive interesting and then no follow-ups. Yeah. And this is the case most of the times, most, really most of the times. I mean, you, you can read enthusiasm when you speak about the idea, probably because you become good at pitching it. Then maybe you send the material and then you get no response. But I, I think this is a case of, with many, many, many yep. things. Especially if you're you know, a startup trying to get the seed funding, then trying to get post-seed funding. After you get the first funding, actually it's much easier. And you actually start seeing more investors than the, way you're, than the one you're expecting. And then it becomes you know, kind of troublesome to understand. Mm-hmm okay, maybe this one is giving this and that valuation. And so, but yeah, at the beginning, it's very, it's very troublesome uh, because uh, you really receive a no and you, you might also receive some yes and so on, but then it doesn't materialize. Let's say. Any advice on, on people looking for that initial anchor funding in terms of how do you find the right person to find it? Mm-hmm. Is there anything that you think will help you yeah. to nail those first few Anchor yeah, investors. Yeah. Go on with the boost, bootstrapping, go on with proceeding with as much as you can. Prepare as much marketing material using your PowerPoint skill set as possible. Don't stop because you don't have funding. Find your best friend of elementary who's, who's good in marketing, bring him on board, make him in love with your idea, and then proceed this way. So try to have as much material, as much research, as much stuff. So anybody who's interested in actually interested in investing some money in you, you flood the guy with information. So this is very important. So you, you need to look an expert. You need to be an expert. You need to have materials coming from an expert. And from the point of view, instead of uh, where do I find the guy investing in me or where do I find the company, whatever, go out at night, 
going networks, going aperos, going all the possible events of the city. I know right now it's a little bit more complicated. You need to have more business cards of other people than the ones you have of yourself. Mm. Very important rule of thumb. Yeah. Okay, great. I'm going to have one last question. How has the pandemic impacted your business? Honestly, it hasn't. At the beginning, we were very scared. Okay, we will start working from home. Will it work? But I think this is the case of, with many companies. We were lucky enough to have enough liquidity to not having any, any considerations for investors might, might uh, probably be more risk averse right now in investing in mm-hmm. companies and startups. The real economy and we don't need people to go out of their house to actually listen to music. And this is very good. Of course, the music business has experienced some downturns, especially connected with the live industry. But everything considered, we are expecting the music business to be extremely resilient this year. This is, again, uh, confirming the, the diversification opportunity offered by the, system, by, the, by the business. The financial markets are always looking for something which is enabling them to sleep, you know, more uh, calmer nights. So if we can provide the opportunity of investing in an asset class, which is, again, conceived, uh, perceived as diversifying and uh, providing income, not in 10 years, but next year, we are seeing that this is a very, I mean, still well perceived also during the COVID situation. So we didn't receive any negatives uh, during the pandemic. Excellent. Well, that's exciting news, I think, for you and uh, the people listening. It sounds like a very interesting business model. Um, so my last few minutes before before um, I end the podcast, I usually just like to ask about things other than just your business. And I actually mm-hmm. wanted to start off by learning a little bit more about Luxembourg as a place because I've um, never been there. And this is my first um, podcast with someone from Luxembourg. So if I was going to come to Luxembourg to visit you, Marzio, what would be the one thing that you would recommend I do? Okay, this really depends um, on what you like to do. But, so what, what, what I love about Luxembourg is that it's getting like a really international and well-diversified country in terms of uh, nationalities of people that you meet around. It's getting close to Paris from the, from the point of view of number of restaurants uh, that have tables outside, which is something I really love. Because mm. It's a, a lively city, you know, when, when you have uh, the bars, the upper rows outside. So there, are, there is this kind of social, uh, social life that I, I really appreciate from this point of view. Then you have a lot of fields, a lot of cows, a lot of festivals, yeah. a lot of, uh, you know, there is also a big rural part, rural part where you can go around with a motorbike, with a bicycle. There are some lakes, there is no sea. And uh, there is La Moselle, which is uh, the, um, the river uh, on, the, on the border with Germany, where they have amazing uh, sparkling wine. And uh, so it's a small nation, but it's a nation. It's not a city. So you can basically find everything that you find in a bigger nation, just on a min- smaller scale, let's say. <laughs> and it's, it's, uh, and it's, uh, I think it's, let's say, very also polite uh, and uh, very educated, I, I would say, uh, environment. And I, I really love this. Excellent. Well, I think I'm going to uh, plan to make a visit to Luxembourg in my all Europe tour at some point after this pandemic stabilizes a bit. <laughs> if you end up here. <laughs> okay. Well, um, thank you so much, Marcio, for coming on this podcast. I really enjoyed our conversation and learned so much about this new asset class and this new business model about investing in music. So thank you very much. 
Thanks to you, Anita, and I'm sure you will find something uh, definitely interesting for you because we are right now speaking with the, the UK music market and uh, uh, giving your origins. Uh, I think uh, in the next month you will be positively surprised. Again, thank you for the opportunity. Again. Great, thank you.